0: hey guys welcome back to the mud studs and skull caps podcast i'm robin and i'm kelsey
1: and what are we talking about today oh yeah no so for today's (laughs) episode we're going to be discussing the basics what are the basics why they're important and just sort of our experience with them as well as experience from top professionals so don't tune out just because you don't ride dressage because these apply to everybody Betty has a public service announcement she would like to make. Okay, Addie can go first, I suppose. Here we are on the Addie Show. She is important um, and she had a bad week and she would like to tell people why. Okay, so last weekend, like right after we finished recording, I went out to go play with her and soak her front feet. So more on that subject later. But um, I noticed that she had some diarrhea and my like deworming schedule with my horses is a little flexible. I'm probably not the most like structured with it. Um, My worm management plan, we're going to get better at that uh, especially since you know understanding that the science behind deworming has changed a lot I need to get up with the times so I had a a tube of dewormer went to go deworm her as I was giving it to her I like had that thought of huh it's orange what if she's allergic to orange like that that was all the thought was like i don't know most but mostly warmers are like white and yellow and green and this one was like orange i was like that's that's a weird color like what if she doesn't like that because this we'd already had an allergic reaction to our fly spray earlier in the week so it was just like i'm sure she'll be allergic to something else today that would be fun anyways i go about we spend like 40 minutes getting her legs to soak um 20 minutes to get her legs in the bucket, and then another 20 minutes just to stand with her legs in the bucket. <laughs> and at the end, she had done so well, I went to feed her some cookies. And my pony is a cookie fiend. She loves the sugar. She has a sweet tooth. She happily ate her first cookie. Her second cookie, she slowed down a little bit. And her third cookie, she wouldn't take. So I was like, mm, okay, something's wrong. It's questionable. <laughs> that's that's not... No, it's definitely is, questionable. Yeah, definitely questionable. That's This is my cookie monster. And I watch her, and she's starting to make these like yawning pulling her jaw these really like extreme facial expressions and I can see her trying to swallow and of course oh my gosh my horse is choking so I like run in I get the syringe so I can start giving her some water I know if your horse is choking you have to be careful with just like uh, putting water into their throat because it could cause more problems Uh, But my thought was like, it's a soft molasses cookie. I want to like get the molasses moving um, and get her some water in there. We probably spent like 20 minutes of me rubbing her throat and giving her a little bit of water and rubbing and walking. Oh my gosh. And I'm watching her and she doesn't look stressed. So my other horse, Dublin, he chokes frequently. And so I know what choke looks like. And he stresses out like it's he has a panic attack when it happens because they can't swallow well, i would too right like i get it he starts to stress out she was not stressed at all she was really calm really relaxed looking but still making these really weird facial expressions and tried getting her to eat grass she didn't quite want to eat grass and that's when i noticed her face was swollen so I dewormed her with Zymetrin gold. What part of her face was swollen? Her lips were swollen. I'm thinking her throat was swollen based off of the not being able to swallow. Um, and I'm guessing her tongue was probably swollen. And I had dewormed her with Zymetrin gold. And a uh, public service announcement is do not use Zymetrin gold. This is an issue they know about. There's a warning on the box. And I think like... In this day and age, everything we own has a warning on it, right? So like warnings don't seem that big of a deal at this point. This warning's on that box for a reason. They know there's an issue with the product. I was really lucky that all that happened was her mouth swelled and we dealt with choke for a little bit. But it blisters basically what happens is it's a chemical reaction that causes the tongue the lips the mouth to blister and they know about this they know that they have an issue with this product and they refuse to pull it off their shelves so you may be someone who and you like me who's never had an issue with it before and don't like you know about the rumors or you've heard about it look into it do some research and don't don't use it because i got lucky it was just a swollen mouth and not a chemical burn and blisters
0: i'm not counting how many times i've gotten lucky because when i moved to north carolina obviously our worming rotation is a little bit different we have different kinds of worms they have to worm for at different times of the year than back in washington and so what i was finding that everyone was recommending is zemextrin gold and that is what i have used for my horses it just makes it so much more real when you know someone else that's experienced it that it's not just fluke accidents happening that's actually irregularly occurring issue that can cause these blisters and these allergic reactions
1: yeah and i think that's what's like so hard with you know you read these rumors online you hear about it online but like until it happens to you it's so hard to to believe it you know well it's so easy to write it off because it's not happening to your horse your horse is fine it only takes once yeah yeah it only takes once And horses can develop allergic reactions as they go. So they could have been fine for an extended period of time. And then one day it's not not okay anymore. Don't use it. It's not a good product.
0: (laughs) What are you going to use going forward from it?
1: So I so the science on deworming has changed a lot since we first started riding horses, right? When we first started, it was like yeah. every two months when the fair year comes, you do a rotation, there's a list, look up the type of dewormer to use for that type of year. And the science has really changed on this and that worms, unfortunately, are able to build resistance to the chemicals really quickly. And currently, there is no research being done on new chemicals for deworming. So the chemicals we have are what we have. We likely won't have new chemicals for like 10 years. It takes a long time to do the research, the development and the testing. So we need to be really careful with those chemicals we do currently have. The goal of getting zero worms in our horse is just not gonna happen. Like that's just not realistic and not feasible. So what's being recommended, obviously, is doing the fecal egg counts. You should do fecal egg counts in the fall, and what you want to determine is your horse a high shutter or a low shutter. A low shutter is desirable. It means they're not. Uh, they're not shedding a ton of parasite were uh, eggs and worms and things in their manure. They're oh, worms. I thought you were talking about like, their coat shedding. I was like, I think they all shed the same. <laughs> no, no. It's like the amount of parasites that they're presenting in their system and removing from their system. And so the, a lot of the science is going around worming once a year, uh, doing a doing the fecal egg count and then worming once a year with a uh, moxidectin and praziquantel cross. So that'd be Equimax or Quest so worms do have a natural life cycle they're an annual species so they start to die off in the fall and doing that count in the fall and deworming in the fall like helps you play into their natural cycle so they're already dying so let's hit them while they're on their way down and they can't build up an immunity to that uh, chemical that you're using hmm. uh, and then there's like a lot of stuff you can do pasture management wise so the more time your horse spends outside and in a pasture especially with other horses the more time they're being exposed to worms so making sure you're managing your pastures you're not overgrazing them manures getting drug dragging it's really important to break up the poop piles and get sun on the parasites that are in the poop so that they get exposed to heat and sun um and then resting so that they have time to die before you bring horses back onto the pasture so those sort of things are what we're doing What about
0: the daily wormers? I know there's some supplements out there that act as a daily wormer that you add to their grain. Do you know about their life effect? Do you know anything about their effectiveness and how quickly worms are building up immunity to that? Because I feel like that would just become ineffective after.
1: Yeah, so I think that those for a long time have been sort of faux pod um, because it's not it's not a high enough dose to do anything and the worms that would be affected by that can build up resistance really quickly it's just not an effective way and it's not an effective way to make sure your horse is getting the dosage okay and something that people have been running into is the product you're getting isn't 100% guaranteed. So there's been discoveries with like Invermectrin. Like Invermectrin is really cheap, right? And a lot of times you can get like five for a dollar. Like there's a lot of sales going on with them um, and a lot of discount dewormers. Uh, This lecture I was listening to was by a vet and she was telling the, the story of a horse that they wormed with the discount Ivermectrin and it did absolutely nothing. And so the product itself had no potency. The veterinarian, their prescribed Ivermectrin did the trick. And this happened a couple times. So you also are risking potency levels that it may not even be enough. And if it ages, if it's not stored correctly, the daily stuff is just not worth the, the cost um, to your bank account mm-hmm. or the impact. Like it's, it's not doing anything. And that's really sold as a way to like keep your horse at zero. But there is no such thing as zero. But yeah, so definitely talk to your vet and like make a plan. Like I will be doing fecal accounts this fall because um, I get – my annual like teeth floated and shots and everything typically in the fall which is perfect for doing uh egg counts and stuff so we'll do do that that's
0: interesting because i have always been i don't know about anybody else but when i go to the vet i feel as though they're always trying to push off additional services that you have to pay for that aren't actually necessary whether you're going to a large animal vet or a small animal vet it always feels like they're trying to shove all these new things down your throat that you need to pay for or you're your bad owner if you don't pay for them and I've always been uh, suspicious of the fecal count. I was like, do I actually need to do this? Because growing up, it, it was never a thing. It was mm-hmm. You never thought of it. But now hearing this, I'm like, oh, maybe it wasn't complete BS. Maybe it's actually there for a reason.
1: Yeah, I, I think the fecal egg counts are becoming a lot more popular. Uh, people are starting to realize that they actually probably need to know for the horses because, yeah, if you have a high shutter versus a low shutter, you should be yeah. deworming them differently. Um, and I love the idea that, I don't have to deworm it constantly. It's not like an every two month thing because I am a big believer in that like my horses are going to handle this differently. Uh, and one of the things they were saying is that you know you can't really tell sometimes a horse that's carrying a high load. Their coat may be beautiful. They may look like a good weight. And it's some of those telltale signs that we were told aren't necessarily like holding true anymore that horses are carrying high loads and looking beautiful uh, at the same time. Hmm interesting yeah i think it's a good thing to at least understand where your horse fits in and what load they're carrying uh so that you can try to back off i mean i think that is the overall goal is to deworm less and the goal is not zero the goal is something is a sustained population so have little buggies in your horse that's the goal (laughs) no i know i know it sounds so so gross um it really does it
0: is well it's so counterintuitive to what you learn growing up but i mean science is changing things are
1: evolving yeah well and the actually the problem is science you know science is keeping up on one end but we're not keeping up on the other like we are not producing new we're not looking for better ways to manage parasite loads why is that i don't know like i'm not sure why we're not doing research into i mean i know like we used to deworm with turpentine so like we've progressed <laughs> like horse care has progressed a little bit um i was looking through the ha manual recently and reading the chemicals listed in there and how they're used and it's like we don't use a lot of these anymore in this books from the 90s and there's there are some chemicals that weren't listed in there and i think you know people are just trying to go to stuff that's more convenient and i don't think I think we, yeah, we went this way that like, okay, just don't worry about your horse. Every two months, there's this beautiful chemical you can use that will fix the problems. And I think that's just kind of where we left it. And no one has kind of gone back to that science because they kind of fig- think they figured it out maybe. I'm not really sure. I just don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why the research is stagnant. I mean,
0: to be honest, I haven't questioned it up until now. I haven't thought about it. I've always just thought like my methods are just fine. Never never even crossed my mind that I should be using something different. Because I mean, we know about the issues that you have to rotate because worms get immune to certain chemicals and everything. But at the same time, you just kind of forget about it. So, are you ready? Wait, are you ready to get into our topic today?
1: I think we can, unless you had anything you needed to share about your week with
0: your ponies. I didn't have any exciting thing. Uh, <laughs> I cannot talk today. My goodness, I did not have anything exciting happening this week or scary like you did with the allergic reactions and stuff.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to to do a public service announcement for that. So. She doesn't want to see other horses suffer the way she did. No pony should choke on cookies. <laughs> it's not fair. No, no pony should. All ponies should be able to eat their cookies in peace. Well, if the
0: girl wasn't allergic to absolutely everything oh underneath the sun.
1: She's so allergic to everything. I figured out a solution for our fly spray. I just fly spray her oh? sheet now, so it doesn't touch her body. It's just the sheet is fly sprayed. Uh huh. Yeah. No, that's. Good idea there, kid. It seems to be helping, and I don't, I haven't seen any allergic reactions since then, so. No hives. Poor Addie, my goodness, life is tough on that kid. Okay, I'm sorry, but who's allergic to bugs and fly spray? Like, you gotta choose one, you can't be allergic to both. <laughs> so Addie, it's just, it's just so Addie. Don't be an Addie, guys. <laughs> you can
0: only be allergic to one
1: thing. Pick it, stick with it. So,
0: training pyramid, how about that stuff?
1: Yeah, so I thought it'd be a really good idea if we had a discussion about the basics and what they even are, because I think this is a phrase that gets used a lot by people. Um, I think this is, you know, something, this phrase, the basics, gets thrown around all the time. And for me personally, even though I've spent quite a few years, maybe a couple decades, (laughs) riding, and, you know, a lot of that was classical dressage and classical training, I really like until I sat down this week and really read I've been reading a book this week. I'm so proud. Um I don't think I fully understood some of these things. Um because I think we get stuck sometimes at one of one level or one piece of the training pyramid and we don't don't like move on to the next one sometimes and really learn what that next level is.
0: Well, real quick. Here I go with one of my many many pet peeves in the world if you look at the training pyramid if you were to google german training pyramid or dressage training pyramid you would see you have these various stages you have rhythm relaxation connection and then the very end one the last thing is this thing called collection and i think i think people have really confused what this is and have no idea what collection actually is that it's not the amount of roundness your horse presents it's not how hard you can crank their head into their chest it's the degree of height that they're lifting their legs and like their length of stride
1: well i mean okay so you're like jumping way to the end robin
0: sorry i just got really worked up because i saw it and
1: i was like yeah so i think when we're talking the word collection um gets confused with the word connection all the time and this is something that is a big pet peeve of mine because i do believe i believe the training pyramid unfortunately it's really pushed in the dressage world but this training pyramid applies to everyone who puts their butt on a horse um this applies to you yeah one of the issues is that yeah the word collection often gets interpreted as like I'm collecting my horse up and now we're doing you know our noses down and we're slow trotting and that's collection and oftentimes what you mean is connection that I am riding my horse back to front and he's giving and he's now on the bit and soft I do think those people who are using the word collection incorrectly don't have connection either. But what their goal is, is connection, not collection. Sorry, we can go back down
0: to the bottom now with rhythm and relaxation. I just, I had to jump in there real quick in case I forgot to say it
1: later. (laughs) No worries. So I have a fun, fun fact. Oh, okay. So I did find an article on dressage today. um, And we can provide the link to dressage today because it's a really, it's a good summary of what the basics are. But when do you think the training scale got introduced to America? When do you think the Germans finally decided to share the secret?
0: Um. Okay. So I'm thinking we had it in our Pony Club
1: manual. No, did we? Yeah. Well, we were talking. The- Theoretically, yes. It was in the Pony Club manual.
0: Yeah. So that and those were written. What? I think 95. 80s, 90s. 95. Oh, okay. 90s. So I'm guessing probably somewhere in the 70s they brought the training pyramid over.
1: 1986. Trick. is when it was introduced to americans to the translation from german to english of a chapter of german olympian harry bolt's book the dressage horse and it revealed at long last the training scale that the germans had been utilizing for decades if not centuries <laughs> Sorry. that's quote that was like a quote from the article i'm not that Well spoken, but I just thought that was a really interesting fact. 1986 is when Americans were like, "Uh huh, (laughs) like the secrets out." Here we go. We got the got the keys to the castle now. But I mean, for so long, German has been touted as being like the best country for the best bred horses, for the best you know riders. You know, American riders go to Germany to learn how to ride for several. Yes, I mean that's a goal of most top. Uh, riders
0: is to spend time in Germany for a reason and to train under German instructors and just to go and see
1: their riding school structure yes yes um and it's horses in Germany is a lot different I mean it's part of everybody's culture uh versus like America where horse girls are crazy and they're in their own like subclass over there in Germany every everyone loves a good horse show um it's much it's part of the culture it is a sport for the people not just for that like elite group Just a very different crowd
0: surrounding it Mm -hmm. and, like, different – what's the word? Not connotation, but it's very –
1: It's got a different support structure and very different – Yeah. Yeah, like, that view of it is very different.
0: Yeah, it is very different. But, I mean, so I wonder, though, it might not have been brought over that the training period was released until 86 in the States, but I'm guessing instructors and well-versed riders previously figured out these key steps. They just hadn't necessarily put it into a pyramid. They knew what their steps to success were. They just never vocalize them like the training pyramid has been.
1: Yeah, this is a huge belief I have, and I watch proof of it, is that top riders in any sport are often working working through the training pyramid. I have listened to barrel racers who have basically explained the training pyramid and how they ride their horses and like And you're just nodding along like yes as a barrel racer you're correct you know sometimes there's a piece or two missing but if any good rider has spent enough time on a horse they will figure this out this isn't it isn't a secret it's just how the training scale presents it was the secret like what is the exact order and there's actually a lot of discussion about what is the exact order because there are multiple schools of thought well okay so what's your school of thought i know the most frequent one
0: that we see that gets switched around is the two bottom steps you have rhythm and then relaxation
1: which one do you think goes first i was always taught rhythm and relaxation were the same thing you get them both at the same time i think most horses start with a correct rhythm i think you're gonna be hard pressed to find a horse who doesn't have a clean trot it's totally out there there are horses right that four beat the canter it's out there it's just hard pressed to find a horse that has a bad gait and usually their gait's been damaged by bad riding I really think the first level is rhythm tempo and relaxation your horse has to be relaxed once your horse is relaxed then you can have a good tempo and so I think it's like rhythm relaxation tempo those three things work together and I also like I'm not a huge fan of the idea of a pyramid per se because I think It gives the impression that you're working up levels and once you've like accomplished rhythm check i'm never going to lose rhythm again once i've uh, you know got contact check i'm done in reality i think it's more of like it's more of a circle it's a cycle you're constantly going through these things and you know you could be practicing you know grand prix dressage and not have relaxation like that is not out of the question (laughs) Um, it happens all the time and so i think it's really important that riders are constantly checking every level and not just, you know, oh, I, ca- I did it once two years ago. I'm good.
0: No, I think that's a very good point is that you're always working. Well, I think actually that's the good part about the pyramid though. I think because you can't have the entire pyramid with just the top if you don't have the bottom, right? You're yeah. not going to get to the top unless you've hit these different points.
1: Yeah. But then I think it's like you, you constantly have to be going back down a level and checking on them. Um, So like an exercise I use with my horse is that If something's going wrong while i'm riding say like he's really stiff in the shoulders or having issues in the shoulders i always go to the haunches first i'm always going to start at the back end and work forward because oftentimes an issue in the shoulders is really an issue in the haunches and so it's the same thing with the pyramid is you always just go back to the beginning and work forward and make sure you have all of these things as you're going so you know, even if you feel you've passed it, you feel the issue isn't there. It isn't in suppleness. It's you know, it's actually an issue with impulsion or whatever. How would you present it then if you weren't presenting
0: it in a pyramid form?
1: I like in my head I see more of a circle. <laughs> I see like and I haven't quite oh, smart, I haven't yeah. quite organized it yet because there is a starting point. You have to start with relaxation. It's always gonna be relaxation is your start. Every single time you sit down on your horse, it's relaxation. Mm-hmm. But you're constantly cycling through these as you go through each movement so okay i got relaxation in the walk now i'm going to the trot and you start right back over now i'm going to the canter and you start right back over you don't necessarily ma- maintain each level as you progress and i think that's a lot of times why in clinics you hear your instructors saying back to basics is because the riders have kind of moved on and forgotten to go back and do that check because well,
0: it's very much so once you've accomplished something
1: You want to keep working on that and accomplish
0: the next level. It's always about moving up and moving on. Yeah. You don't really want to go back to – it's not always fun to go back to your basics at the very – because that's just not the fun stuff. It's not the thrilling.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you want to move on. But like the pyramid, I mean, even if you're doing upper level collection moves and working on collection, you still – you're not going to get any of that if your horse isn't straight and you still need to go through all of those um, levels. Yeah, that's true. So the other two that I really struggle with, their order is impulsion and straightness. I I feel like you, how do you have impulsion without straightness? Like if you... No, how do you have straightness without impulsion? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so to me to have good impulsion, quality impulsion, right? So impulsion is the way your horse... And maybe we should just go through the levels and not skip around so much, but... <laughs> <laughs> But to me, impulsion is the desire for the horse's foot to leave the ground. And if your horse isn't straight, one foot is pushing and thrusting way more than the other. And you continue to develop crookedness. And how do you have a horse that's... And to me, when I see energy, energy is going through the horse's body in a circle. We're constantly in this circle of energy that goes through the horse's hind end, back, neck, and then back through. And to me, if there's no straightness, Your impulsion is like it's pushing out somewhere. You're actually, you have to be losing impulsion somewhere if you're not straight, if one side's stronger than the other. Okay, but think about this when you're on a bicycle, how hard is it to ride that bicycle in a straight
0: line the slower you go? the less energy you have. It is so much easier to ride that bicycle in a straight line, hands-free, when you're going, when you have more energy. You can't, when you take the energy away on a bicycle, you end up making all these short little adjustments from one side to the other because you're trying to maintain your balance. And that's how I see the training pyramid is that you're able to achieve straightness once you have enough energy to keep it going. Uh,
1: I am like, okay, I that's a fair, that's a fair, fair comparison except for it's a good comparison bike doesn't have a brain and four legs like I just I I worry that if you spend too much time developing impulsion and not straightness that you're going to be over developing one of your horse's sides and that you're going to be causing more problems later for developing straightness
0: Mm, I know see I don't agree with Mm -hmm. that I think I think when you're starting to focus on
1: straightness
0: is in reality, you're not allowing them to create enough energy and impulsion. Now, I've, I've had this actually where I've worked with very big horses. One of the horses I remember I was working with, he was probably he was just over 17 hands. And so he was very big and people really focused on getting him straight and just slowing him down. And so we ended up having a lot of issues with having a steady canter. And what I found to correct his canter was I really had to let him go forward and develop this impulsion, develop the energy. And that's when he was able to get stronger and become straighter. That was when he was able, once he had a good stride and had a lot more energy, he was building up that strength that then allowed him to come back and become straighter. I I accept
1: that answer. (laughs) Then I guess maybe my theory is that straightness and impulsion, I guess, okay, part of it might just then depend on the horse that you're riding. Because for my horse... For Addy, because that was the one I was most recently working on developing impulsion on. We actually, to develop impulsion, we were going the opposite. We needed to slow down so we could get off our forehand more um, and start to load our hind end. But that's rhythm. But that's not... V-
0: yeah. Rhythm and tempo. Do you know what tempo is? It's like a metronome, the dunk,
1: dunk, dunk. Right. So we had to change our tempo so that we could develop thrust and push. So where does straightness come in? Straightness comes in because she, we can't have just one leg developing... The thrust we have to be weighting both of those hind legs equally to develop thrust i don't know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> hey i i don't know either <laughs> and that's why folks it's all about the basics because you're gonna spend a lot of time <laughs> just on this pyramid alone i guess i think a lot of it is understanding the horse that you're riding and really knowing that horse's weaknesses i think you know part of my mare her issue is that we've got a weak leg and a strong leg And so I have to make sure that the weak leg is keeping up with the strong leg and not getting left behind. But if you have a horse that is already strong in both hind legs, then I can see why you're developing impulsion first and then straightness. I guess I can see where those two would play back and forth depending on the type of horse you have and what their weaknesses are.
0: But I think it'd be more likely than not that people have a horse that is relatively similar in both their hind legs and sure. so you are developing impulsion for then straightness but it does come back and depend on the horse you're having yeah but i think Addie's situation is more rare than what a typical horse would be experiencing
1: well and it's hard because right like so much of my experience like it comes from my experience what my knowledge and my understanding like i yeah. can't take from someone else's experience i can only take it from mine and then try to apply information and so it is it's challenging if you haven't had you know, the perfect horse sometimes, your interpretation of how these things work is a lot different. Like Dublin, we spent so much time on rhythm and relaxation. Like we spent years developing rhythm and relaxation. And to develop rhythm and relaxation meant I had to let them go slow and I had to let them go low. And then we could start to pick things up and package it. But it meant that like, because we started low and slow developing impulsion and straight or he had straightness i would say he was fairly a lot closer to straightness um but impulsion was he straight or was he stiff he was both <laughs> his stiffness
0: held him straight
1: uh, pretty much <laughs> but like for him it made developing impulsion really a challenge like for me I have spent most of my life just trying to develop impulsion spent very little time sort of moving on to straightness and collection not that I didn't get there with Dublin um, but we spent so much more time stuck on impulsion ah, but there's a step in the training pyramid pyramid that we
0: skipped over so far contact contact or connection they kind of use the terms interchangeably with the training pyramid but yes I think that's one thing that Dublin really struggled with because he was a very lanky thoroughbred he had a long back long neck he was just long all around and so it was a lot of work for you to get him together and be able to establish that connection throughout like his whole body because he was just so long
1: yeah, yeah, and he he was long, and he had a preferred way of moving, so you could establish that in a more of a training level lower frame and keep it, but bringing him up is when it just, it started that, started to break down, and it's why in my head mentally, I see my horse as like a big circle with energy moving through it, and that we're kind of constantly depending on... What we're working on, if we're working on collection, that circle kind of turns into an oval that's standing up. If we're in a more of a training level uh, frame, working on more of that just connection at that lower level, it's more of an even circle. And so this probably sounds crazy, but that's how we would constantly, um, when I was teaching lessons on him, how we'd constantly talk about riding him and developing his connection is through this circle of energy starts with his hind end and you as a rider are part of that circle and cannot block it. You have to allow that energy to continue to cycle through. That's
0: interesting. I've never actually thought about it in that kind of way. I'm it shows how people introduce information in different ways, you know. You can hear the same thing a million times over, but eventually one person says it in just the right way that it clicks.
1: Yeah, and I think it also definitely depends on your horse too. Like that's I'm gonna say this a hundred times. Like so much of this depends on your horse and how their bodies work, what images and what descriptions are gonna connect for you. And that's something that I I struggle with a lot.
0: Yeah, and that's what makes some of this stuff just so hard. Yes, there is a blanket overall training pyramid. This is how you apply it to your rides. But at the end of the day, you have to apply it in very different ways and very unique ways to your own individual horse. And each horse is not going to be the same. That's why there's no cookie cutter solution because each horse is slightly different. They have their own traits. They have their own strengths and weaknesses.
1: Well, And then each rider has their own strengths and weaknesses as well. And they're interfering or not interfering with certain you know, with the horse's training and their their progression. So uh, the pyramid, if you guys haven't figured it out at this time, because we've been really chaotic with this conversation, (laughs) it starts with rhythm and tempo is typically seen as the first one. And then you go to relaxation and suppleness, then contact. Contact is um, developed at training level. So training level dressage is about contact. Then you go to impulsion. Impulsion is first level. First level dressage, where you really develop impulsion, and then you go to straightness, and then collection. And second level is kind of between straightness and collection, and third level is collection. All the levels up, see these. You have to have all these things. Yeah, you don't just
0: get to one, and you no longer have to have the rest behind it. You have to maintain all these. So by the time you get to collection you have absolutely every single step that came before it.
1: Correct.
0: Yeah. Ideally. Ideally. In theory. Yes.
1: Theoretically. (laughs) Um, So do you have any like exercises that you use in order to work on different pieces of the training pyramid? Anything you rely on a lot? So yeah, actually to establish, I guess it's a little bit of relaxation
0: and connection is at the beginning of my rides, I will always start my horse off with very loose reins, long reins. And I just work on getting her to move away from my leg So I have trees in my arena and I just work on using only my legs and my seat and just use my legs to weave her in between the trees and just like get her listening to my aids. And so that works on the acceptance of her aids and the suppleness and just make sure that we're listening, we're in tune, that when I apply my legs, she's not all of a sudden jetting off. Yeah. So that's kind of how I start my rides by introducing our relaxation and our connection. And it's kind of difficult when you think about rhythm and how you work on rhythm every ride because like you were saying, is most of the time horses have a good rhythm unless someone has really messed with that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also rhythm and tempo are one and the same sometimes and that sometimes you do have your horse has more energy and you just have to
1: work on slowing them down that
0: day and just reestablishing your normal rhythm. And
1: that, yeah, that's a really good exercise for developing contact. So I think contact is sometimes a little misunderstood that contact is not just holding the horse's mouth. Like it's more than that. Contact is about supporting the horse and providing support through your entire aids and having a horse that is listening to your entire aids and that you're not holding the horse anywhere, that you are supporting the horse through your aids. And I think contact is one of those areas that it sounds like it's one thing when it's really something entirely different.
0: Yeah, well, so the training pyramid I'm looking at right now, it kind of has little blurbs underneath each word. Mm -hmm. And so for contact, it goes into that Contact is the acceptance of the bit through the acceptance of the aids. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what you were just saying, is it's the horse willing to accept your leg and all the other aids that you're presenting to them, and it's not just you holding,
1: riding their face. Right. So the German word that they use for that um, level of the pyramid is the word I'm going to butcher. Uh <laughs> Oof, in the lung hung, in the anal oh, I, I'm done that was my <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that was I can't even I can get schwung and I can say loosen, Go height or whatever I could say some of those it's hung lung, in the lung, I don't know <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, gonna spell it that. I'm gonna spell it it's a n l e h n u n g it translates to support. So, the word is support that they use on that level. And that, yeah, it's supporting the horse's entire body with your aids. God, I hope no Germans listen to this and hear you butchering the
0: language. Yes,
1: I don't speak any language. Like, I mean, I I speak English theoretically on some days, not all days. Some days I speak English, but I do not speak German. So, one thing that I have definitely noticed with riders and myself personally is that our contact with our hands our hand aids tend to be so much stronger than our seat and leg aids and this is something that we as a community can work a lot on so frequently we hold one rein much harder than the other rein and we often rely on our inside rein a ton and to develop a better contact you have to use that outside leg okay (laughs) stop pulling your horse by their face to turn start pushing them with that outside leg and I think working through your position at the contact level is when your position needs to get figured out you need to make sure that you're able to best support this horse by having a strong core by having a strong seat and not allowing your hands to be the stronger you cannot move forward from this level if your hands are your strongest aid
0: well so i think of the training pyramid and i think that people need to apply it to every ride that they go into in which it's not just that you're going to start off on say the last ride you finished on you ended on contact and starting to develop impulsion you're not just going to pick up right there where you left off when you start off your new ride you have to just when you're warming up the horse you get rhythm then you get relaxation and then you get contact and so i think it's important that These steps can happen relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. But think when people go into typically their first transition of the ride, when they go to pick up trot, what is the immediate reaction? It's not to apply their leg and push the horse up into the transitions. It's to gather their reins. So they immediately have this contact and they forget about the previous two steps they just established.
1: So I have a really good exercise for contact as well. uh, And that is, I was telling you about this the other day, With horses, especially with their transitions, a lot of times we see horses fall in and out of the transitions, and they throw their head up. It can be tricky because you want you start to override those transitions by using more leg and more hand to hold them together. And this was an exercise that actually I saw Debbie McDonald do um, in a clinic she was teaching. And basically, her advice is that only take the horse as far as they can go through that transition before they lose it, and then move on. So, for example, if you're working on trying to halt your horse and have a really nice. together halt ask for it with your legs um, in your seat and ask correctly but at some point that horse is going to fall out of that and they're going to throw their head up or drop their back and before they get to that point you walk on and so not only are you teaching them how to stay together through a halt even though you might not get to a halt you're also teaching them a half halt at the exact same time. Take that transition as far as you can until the horse loses it and then get out of there. Um, this works really good for developing a nice clean halt while you're developing that half halt so that in the future when you're trotting and you go to do something similar, you then are able to release the horse and get them out of there and you, you've just done a half halt at the trot or the canner.
0: And that also works on building their strength because a lot of times for all these different movements and transitions, everything, the horse just needs strength.
1: Yeah, and I think that developing contact and that half halt sets you up really nice for developing impulsion. And that's the thing with the pyramid, is it really sets you up nice for the next level. Like if you've got contact and you're starting to really develop that half halt and getting the horse on the aids, then developing impulsion in theory should be really easy and really straightforward and just a continuation of that earlier education.
0: Yeah, but I like the idea that you presented of having, instead of a training pyramid, having like a training circle. Mm -hmm. Because then if you... Lose a step or you miss a step, you just circle back around. You start back at the beginning. And it always is coming back through everything, as you don't just get to one part and stop.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's key to keep in mind because I think we forget about it a lot of times. I think when we go through our warm-ups, we're thinking about these basics and these ideas, and then you get to like your movement and your actual ride and when you're kind of doing some more of that skill work and you kind of start to forget about it a lot of times and because you, you want to accomplish the leg yield. You want to accomplish the half-pass and you forget that like, well, we lost relaxation and we lost impulsion or contact as we were coming in and we need to redevelop that and try again. And that's… The The exercise I was talking about for halts is also a really good one for teaching lateral movement. Only go as far as you can and then get out of there. Don't force your horse to do it incorrectly. Do you have exercises that go along to each step of the training pyramid? So guys, let me tell you about this awesome book I have. (laughs) So (laughs) Smooth. (laughs) This book is called The Scales of Training Workbook by Claire Lilly. It is fantastic. What it does is it breaks down each level of the training pyramid and it has like, several pages about that level it has photos kind of explaining good the bad the ugly the writer's responsibility but it's very easy to digest very easy to read a chapter and then each chapter comes with a bunch of exercises to work on to develop those skills so i definitely think this is something that should be in everybody's uh, barns everybody's bookshelf it is just a really nice simple explanation of the training pyramid without being fancy so i really i've enjoyed reading this book and having exercises to go and try to torture my horses with (laughs) so yeah that is my like huge recommendation for for our listeners uh where i get where i get my knowledge from no that's really cool i like that yeah i do too do
0: you have anything else that you want to add on the pyramid anything that you felt like we missed over glossed over when we were
1: jumping around everywhere um I, I think the only other thing I would love to, to point out is that while the pyramid is focused kind of on the horse, the rider, there's a lot of basics the rider needs to work on. Um, the rider also needs to be relaxed. The rider also needs to be supple. They also need to be straight, uh, having equal weight in their legs, equal weight in their hands. So I think a lot of this <laughs> pyramid can also just slide right on over and apply to the rider as well. Um, And it's important that we, as a rider, take the responsibility in our bodies. Something I heard someone say that I thought was really interesting. When we look to buy a new horse or, you know, we're looking for the perfect horse, so we're looking at our horse, think about how much time and effort we invest in making sure our horse is healthy, our horse is strong. We don't buy a horse that has a weak stifle we don't buy horses on purpose it happens that have right like if you're going for a top level horse you're thinking that you need a horse that's healthy on both sides of their body and you'll do anything to get them there we often pat ourselves on the back when we ride with a sore ankle we often pat ourselves on the back when we make it through with an injury and if your horse got to choose his rider would he choose you
0: that's an interesting concept
1: Right, I thought that was like ouch. (laughs) Right, like we constantly push ourselves to just get through the pain, just don't worry about it, you're fine. Yet we spend so much time trying to make our horses even and our horses strong. We don't expect the same out of ourselves. That's a good point, and I think
0: we are the weaker athletes. You know, you've pointed out previously, we're the weaker athletes. Why are we not working more on our own, strengthening ourselves, and making us at least a competitive partner for them?
1: Yeah. So I think that's just really important when you're thinking of the basics. You also are a huge part of that equation and you also have to be all of these things. So it's really, it's important that you don't pass off a lot of these issues as your horse's problem, that you accept them as I'm probably interfering in making this worse.
0: So is that the end? Is that, is that, is that all we had to say? All we
1: had to add? I think so. I want to like encourage people to, uh, you know, ask questions a lot of times when you're in a lesson, when you're at a clinic, don't be afraid to ask questions about what What do you mean, am I doing this correctly, should I be doing more of this, less of that. Talk to your instructor, talk to your clinician, read. Reading is always good um, and watching is always good as well. Auditing clinics and watching good riders is always really helpful to see how they're how these things apply to their horse and how they're using them and what they look like when a good horse is doing it if you guys
0: want to ever send us questions or give us topics that you want us to discuss or if you ever just have something you want to ask us we're available on instagram at mudstuds underscore skullcaps and we also have a gmail account that you can send us questions to and it's uh, mudstuds and skullcaps at gmail.com And
1: then what about reviews? Yeah, so we are now on Apple Podcasts. So please, if you've got a spare 30 seconds, leave us a five-star review. It doesn't take long. It takes a lot longer to record a podcast. But leave us a five-star review. That helps other people find us. um, And that helps get our podcast out there to the world. Um, And, of course, recommend us to a friend, someone at the barn. Uh, Someone you like, someone you hate, (laughs) let them know we exist. And as always, stay safe, stay classy, and stay in the saddle. Have a great day, guys. Bye!